Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Agent Ambusonic. Yes, because we're talking about some microphones and some cool stuff about Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail, but we're talking about that a little bit later. Right now, it's time for top news. And you know what? For real, we don't really have a lot of, like, big, over-the-top top of the show news because we're in a little bit of a weird spot time-wise. Yeah, a lot of stuff we can't talk about. And also we gave you a whole whole lot of big stuff last week. Yeah, there's definitely big news on the horizon. You know, I've always got those hashtag secrets, but we're not ready to talk about it yet, even though I guess by the time some of you will be listening to this, some stuff will be coming out uh, because we have C2E2 this weekend, which is a really great convention in Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Chicago. But I can't jump the gun on that stuff, so we'll have to recap that next week. Uh, we, you know, Jamie mentioned the Ambisonic, and yeah. we talked about the microphones and Marvel's Wolverine Lost Trail. And we're getting you ready this week with a pair of interviews. First, we're going to have writer Ben Percy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote the first season, and he's writing the second season, and he's writing the comic book adaptation. Yeah, I got to actually talk to him and had such a great time because we both have the same kind of gothy persuasion. And I actually found out I got my current apartment the day I talked to him and it overlooks a cemetery. So it just, everything was just coming together really well that day. It was a very fun conversation. That's a lot. That's yeah, a lot. it's a lot. Oh, it's very on brand for me. Um, we also have actor Rodney Henry. Those are our interviews. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Now on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Uh, one of the things I'm so hyped about, which is a jerk thing for me to do, is <laughs> I went to LA last week and I saw so many things, did so many things, experienced so many things that I cannot talk about, but things that we're working forward to across Marvel. It's kind of fun. And, I, you know, the reason I bring it up is just because, like, I want you listeners to know that there's always stuff cooking on the horizon. I got to spend uh, some time with our friend Jesse Falcon. Oh, my, my birthday buddy. <laughs> yep. My birthday and initial buddy. Yep. I saw Jerry Duggan. I saw a whole bunch of other people. It was a really great time in L.A. So working on some fun stuff in the future. There's rumblings there's of a storm of creativity and excellent stuff. So whenever there's a lull, it's a reason to get excited, I think. One of my favorite hardcore bands from when I was a kid was this band called Judge. And they had the song called The Storm. And it was just like, the storm comes raging through. <laughs> Surrounds all of us. It was really good. Anyway, that got me thinking of Judge. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's move on to okay. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which hit Blu-ray and DVD this week. And it's my favorite movie. Okay, it, this is actually, this is wonderful. And I this is a movie I actually want to own. I know that many of us don't really go out and buy home entertainment in a you know a physical form we downloaded a lot of the time but this is a blu-ray i really want to own for all the features and to just have it whenever i want it and also have it as part of a personal collection yeah i yeah, yeah I, I got a like a, a code for the movie whenever it hit digital but i also got the blu-ray and i was like you know what i'm gonna keep this yeah it's good yeah um and remember if you get it on digital or redeem the digital copy with your Blu-ray and connect it to an iTunes account, there's an iTunes-exclusive video episode of This Week at Marvel with Lord and Miller and Shmeek Moore and Jake Johnson. You can only watch through iTunes. It's really fun, 38 minutes, and tons of special features. It's 
wonderful stuff. The coolest. Yeah, and there, there's like a, a version of the film on there with an extra about 30 minutes of like animatic stuff that they recorded VO for, but oh. didn't get full animation to because they were edited. That's sort of the way the big animated movies go. Yeah. Uh, but they cut it all together. So you have, I think they call it like the alternate universe version or something like the Spider-Verse version. Whatever it is, there's about 30 extra minutes of movie that you can watch. It's really neat. I can't even imagine what was left out of this that probably was just cut for time and not quality. 100%. Like, yep. Just because look at the people who made this. Yeah. They just churn out brilliance and yeah. joy. It's wunderbar. Wunderbar. Um, okay. Last thing I saw coming up on Marvel.com this week, we have a cool roundup of all the Captain Marvel posters created by the really fantastic artists who work under the poster posse umbrella, which is cool. These are – I don't want to call them fan artists because they're not fan artists. They are very professional, incredible artists, but they sort of do this as like – hey, we're excited about a project. So the poster posse gets together, you know, for different things all the time and they'll just like create, 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 create and release just for fun. It is really neat and they do some amazing pieces. Uh, So we'll have a roundup of those on Marvel.com. Super fun. For the 80th anniversary, we actually just put up yesterday a really fun piece about Atlas Comics. Mm. And it, there are a couple of pictures of a very young Stanley, young smiling Stan mm-hmm. at during his time in Atlas Comics, and the stories that came out of that, including one with your boy Namor from Young Men number twenty four, mm-hmm. which also had Captain America in it. Yep, and uh, the, the original Human Torch, Jim Hammond. So yeah. it's uh, the Inklings were starting in the fifties. My favorite. So. Well, my favorite thing about that is the forties. They show up. They're great. They're huge. Superheroes die off. They try it again in 1954 with that that issue yeah. and like try to bring those those characters back. Torch and Cap last only three months. <laughs> they return for like oh, uh, the the world doesn't want us. Namor lasts for ten issues. He comes back <laughs> strutting his stuff, doing his little like Mick Jagger walk around the world. Everybody's like, ooh, who's that guy? And it's like that's Namor. You mean like the rooster walk? Yeah. That is going to be forever how I picture Namor walking around. 100%. Not like this really regal sea uh, Atlantis dude. No, pursed like, lips soaring. and just like, yeah, think kind about of, it. Like a little like Glistening a Glistening chest. Glistening His chest. little foot wings are just like flapping gently. Ah, oh, he's the best. Lots of gliding. A lot of gliding. He could do it all. Uh, all right, so we're talking about some history stuff. We might as well dive into this week in Marvel history. Jamie, again, will be posting uh, all the beats that I've put together into an article on Marvel.com. We are talking about the week of March 22nd through the 28th. First up, I have March 28th, 1960, Rawhide Kid Returns is Mm. one of our Western characters. It's the first issue since May of 1957, and it's really special because it has Jack Kirby art on the cover and interiors. And, you know, it's Jack Kirby doing, at this point, probably two to three books a month. Not full books on all of them, but like he and Ditko and and like the the Marvel team, you'll see more and more just cranking out art, 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 doing incredible stuff. But that was the I didn't have a lot from the sixties. Nineteen seventy five, March twenty fifth, Gamora makes her first appearance in Strange Tales issue number one hundred and eighty. This is delicious, wonderful Jim Starlin cosmic weirdness in his like uh, when he's doing his original Warlock stories and. You know, you get Thanos, you get Gamora, I believe Pip is somewhere in there. And Jim Starlin, like, 
is an incredible writer, but also he's the artist on these as well. Yeah. And they're trippy and fun as heck. Yeah, I think my favorite cosmic weirdness is Jim Starlin cosmic weirdness. I I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's up there. It's it, real good. Uh, March 25th, 1986 is arguably the release of one of the best comics ever. Wow. Daredevil number 232 by Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli. It features the first appearance of Nuke and is essentially the end of the Born Again storyline. Oh. Uh, but it is like I could read this single issue over and I have read it many times. You got this narration by Ben Urich, both the script and the lettering. It's just incredible. And then there's a scene where the Avengers show up because Nuke is just like destroying New York City. Daredevil's going after him. And then the Avengers show up and... Just that it gives me chills whenever I just thinking about it. I can picture it in my mind. It's emblazoned in there. It's so good. March 22nd, 1998, Blade 2 hits theaters, directed by Guillermo del Toro. It's full of cool style on them suckheads. Suckheads is my favorite term for vampires. I I don't know if that was in the comics or it was in the movies first. Because I know I I can hear Blade say it, but we've used it in the comics now. I don't know if it originated it's in the books. hilarious. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, March 26, 2010, Fantastic Four number 579 introduces the Future Foundation, a very cool forward-thinking aspect of the uh, of the FF. And we saw the Foundation a bit at the beginning of the newest Fantastic Four series, the one that's currently going on by Dan Slott. Uh, I hope we see them again soon. And then the next year, March 23, 2011, Future Foundation gets its own book, more or less, with FF number one. It's also a book looking at the aftermath of Johnny Storm's death. Spoilers. So sad. Eh, he's, he's back. It's um, almost 10 years. We're, I think we're in the clear wow. now. Yeah. And Spider-Man joins the team. So you get that cool look for Spider-Man. Everybody loves that Future Foundation outfit. It was even in Marvel Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. Yeah, the, uh, the really white cool. uniform. Yeah, the white and the black one. Really great. Oh, but the reasoning behind it makes me so sad because I remember Sue talking about it in the book saying that she just, after Johnny was gone, she had to change yeah. the way they looked. It's very cool looking, but devastating totally yeah totally uh march 26 2014 robbie reyes makes his first appearance and is the new spirit of vengeance and all new ghostwriter number one by felipe smith and trad moore it is a gnarly issue trad's art is one is like oh. some of my favorite art in comics seriously i got to post the announcement for silver surfer black mm. and um he's doing the art for that yeah. trad moore and it, it's the most psychedelic cool amazing looking stuff yeah I would say track down any of his work if you are not familiar. He has done a bunch of stuff for Marvel and beyond. Well worth a look. Uh, All right. So that was the history stuff. We'll uh, have uh, more details, more information, more links and all that stuff, pieces that we didn't talk about on Marvel.com. But we also have to talk about the top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pullist, which include Meet the Scrolls number two, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number four, Spider-Man Life Story number one, and Thor number 11. This was a good week yeah, for it was. comics. Uh, you can subscribe to Marvel's The Pullist wherever you get your podcasts and watch video versions on Marvel.com. I loved Miles Morales Spider-Man number four because I used to live near the Brooklyn Museum, which mm. is where they visit. And um, I love a good pop culture reference in Marvel comics. Sometimes pop culture references date a Marvel comic, but at the same time, it's like it brings me back to that time. I've read the, like a lot of past ones where they call out a certain celebrity or a certain pop culture event. And it's like, I remember that 10 years ago. It was mm-hmm. so weird. Yeah. But um. In this issue of Miles Morales, Spider-Man, they're actually talking about Biggie and Tupac, and it's a whole exhibit, and yeah. it's the coolest thing, because they're just so inspired, Yeah, and it's hip-hop history. It's, it's the coolest. 
Now from Brooklyn to the Bayou, it is time for our first interview of the episode, and it is with writer Benjamin Percy talking about Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail. Yeah, Ben and I had a really, really fun conversation because I've been, I'm constantly listening to the first podcast, and I find something new every single time, and we got to talk about the process and the actors a little bit, and what is coming up this season, which we could not reveal a lot of, but a couple of things. So yeah. definitely worth listen. Cool. Yeah. Check out Jamie's interview with Benjamin Percy right now. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me. So let's talk Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail. This is the second season of your podcast. Mm-hmm. What is the second go-round on Marvel's Wolverine like for you after Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night? Well, season one was a murder mystery that drew its inspiration from shows like True Detective and Twin Peaks. And it was an investigation then and an interrogation. So you had a series of characters being interviewed and you can't trust any of them. That doubt was a shadow cast over the entire series as things turned and then turned again as Truths were revealed, secrets unburdened, and Logan was the subject of an investigation. I wanted to push him into the shadows again. I wanted to make him a mysterious, threatening figure once more, since he has been in the spotlight so much in the Marvel U. And in season two, we flipped the paradigm. So Logan is the center of the story, and Logan is, I guess you could say, the chief investigator. This is so interesting. I actually drew the same exact comparisons between True Detective and Twin Peaks when I was listening to the first podcast and now also reading the comic adaptation, which is knocks it out of the park. It's so cool to see it presented visually. Um, But yeah, this was actually what I wanted to ask you about for Marvel's Wolverine the Lost Trail was you're definitely shifting perspective Mm -hmm. from making... Logan, rather than the subject of the investigation, a secondary part of the story to the main focus. Yeah, yeah. And when, you know, Daniel Fink, the producer, and I were talking about it, and Chloe Wilson and Jenny Radlett and the whole team, you know, one of the things we did not want to do was rinse and repeat. Right? You see that so often when you have a successful TV series or a book series where that worked the first time, let's do it again. So we flipped the paradigm. And Logan is the center of the story. And, you know, in the first season, he was broken. He was haunted. Like another inspiration for me was Unforgiven, which is all about somebody who's trying to escape their history of violence and gets drawn back into the fray. So Logan's memories are healing in the second season. And if the first season he was trying to figure out a reason to live, in the second season he's trying to put his claws to good use. And it is a quest narrative. So we, you know, I've always loved quest narratives, everything from The Hobbit to Cormac McCarthy's The Road to Lonesome Dove to Apocalypse Now. So Logan is on the road and he is searching for Maureen, who was seated into the first season. Yeah, she was on the answering machine. She was one of the messages he left, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, right? And a letter he wrote. Yes. Oh, that's... So fascinating, especially because we thought we all thought, spoilers ahead, that he was going to Japan right. at the end. But Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail, takes place in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So you're going from the cold, desolate, bleak, darkness, twin peaksiness of Alaska to 
the warm. Uh, there's so many adjectives that are escaping my brain right now that describe Louisiana, but balmy, I think, is one of them. <laughs> Buzzy. Just, it's a hugely rich, beautiful culture yeah. down there, but it's completely different. So what is it like yeah. shifting not just perspectives, but also settings, environments? Right, right. So we made that reference to Japan for a reason, tipping our hats to yes. the famous Claremont story. Oh, yeah. Uh, leaping beyond that, though, we wanted, again, something new. So let's go from a small town in the middle of nowhere to wild city, like a really rich sound environment. It doesn't just take place in New Orleans. It takes place in the bayou beyond. And you know, this is a place of jazz and midnight parades and jacked-up pickup trucks and fan boats and... And voodoo. Uh, voodoo. And, and voodoo. And snapping yeah. alligators. So what a rich sound environment it is. I wanted to ask you, how much do you write the sound direction in the script? Like, is that, how do you, how do you write for sound? Like, you have so many cinematic influences, mm-hmm. and obviously you've written for comics before. What is it like writing for audio only What when you have to kind of close your eyes and write? You know, in my previous life, I was a elbow-patched professor. <laughs> and uh, one of the exercises I would give my grad students was, I'd have them read a short story by Anthony Doerr called The Shell Collector. And he also used the same move in his uh, novel, All the Light We Cannot See, the Pulitzer Prize winner. He had a blind character. But you didn't know they were blind for some time. Until about halfway through the story, The Shell Collector, did you realize it? And what he does is he fills in the richness of other senses, right? We rely so heavily on vision. Uh... And, and sometimes I think that's a crutch. So what he does is, you know, he makes things tactile. He relies on audio and taste and smell in the story. And it felt so alive and so new as a result of that. So that's an assignment that I gave my students early on. Now, now I had the assignment myself, right? Because not only is it challenging to write for audio, let's write a superhero story in audio, right? Where you have... Comics has your as your platform. Comics are the ultimate visual medium. So, how do you write a story? How do you write a fight scene yeah. in audio? You know, there are all these questions at the start of it, and there there weren't a lot of answers. We we figured it out along the way, right? And and I'm putting a lot of sound direction in the story, but I'm not alone in making these decisions. It's a team effort, and we're working through draft after draft after draft. We're working through Bibles. We're, you know, we're, we're thinking about sound, you know, long before we're ever in the studio. And, and sometimes it's like, okay, we need to have this water dripping from the faucet over here or this air conditioner wheezing over there because that grounds you in an environment. You know, if somebody's making tea at the stove, you know you're in a kitchen. You don't have to waste all that time with audio talking about it. Like, here I am in the kitchen of this character. It's just, it's there and it naturally funnels its way into the story. That's something I thought about a lot while listening to Marvel's Wolverine the Long Night was the whole concept of show, don't tell. You can Mm -hmm. still do that when you're not showing it for a visual medium. You're showing it orally, A-U-R- a-L-L-Y, orally. Right. And I think one of my other favorite sound descriptions was when uh, Bobby was describing 
in the second to last episode, walking through snow, how it's, he said mm-hmm. it was just enough to make it quiet. Mm-hmm. And it makes snow really spooky. And it made that scene extra spooky when you think about how everything's sort of being insulated by the snow. Yeah. And it added to the suspense of I think the, you, know, the you have to think about sound as almost like a character. Setting as a character of its own. And you have the two characters or three characters sometimes. You usually don't want to put more than three characters in a scene with a few exceptions. Otherwise, it gets orally confusing. Yeah. But, you know, think about that back, that sound backdrop in the case of, right, the snowbound forest or that hunting scene. Like, it should be contributing not just to the atmosphere, but potentially to the narrative as well and pushing it forward. Yeah. So... Let's talk about sound and mutants, because in this next season, Logan's not going to be the only mutant. No. So when we're talking about mutants who have powers and may look different to the eye, how do they sound different to the ear? Yeah. Well, first, just a nod to the first season. Uh, the Hudson character is actually Wendigo. Oh. Uh, Logan's not been, not been named. Uh, and oh. so there's another mutant in there. And uh, the Nicholas Prophet, too, the Aurora cult leader. As a mutant, like he actually, like you know, he elevates himself towards the end and becomes a cosmic entity. But yeah, we're much more bold about including other mutants in the second season. And uh, you know, one of my favorites to write was good old Gambit. Oh, he is one of Agent M's favorites. I can tell you that right now. That scoundrel, and yeah. played by Bill Heck, who you might have seen in Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the oh. Netflix movie. He's so good. Brilliant. In that and in this. So talk about some of the powers that were the most fun to write sound for. I mean, Mm. Snicked, obviously. Right. Wolverine, those claws. Can't get enough of that. Can't get enough of that. It sounds so good, and you know it's Wolverine the second you hear that sound. And, you know, shout out to uh, the directors, Brendan and Chloe, and the way that they form that sound. There's like seven different layers to it. And the letting of blood... The sharpening of of steel. They did something with uh, with meat as part of it. I mean, it's it's a complicated sound if you really break it down. But you know, how about Gambit powering up yeah. his cards or powering up his bow staff? Oh, right. Man. So there's that. There's another character in here who has psionic powers, and we use a whisper effect where if you are under his influence, you hear voices that grow louder and louder. They begin as a whispering and then become sort of a unified cacophony. Oh, so listen with headphones this season for sure. So the psionic stuff was pretty creepy. Oh, that sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I also think about how this plays out in the studio where you have, because I saw in a, one of the behind the scenes videos from the previous season, the studio where they're performing this, where they're actually walking around, they're yeah. blocking these scenes to be performed how much of the sound effects are done practically in the studio? A lot. And it's 3D recording technology. So that, you know, if you're listening with good headphones, you can hear something 10 yards ahead of you or 30 yards behind. You can tell where characters are situated next to each other. If somebody's in the front of the cop car and in the back of the cop car, you can hear that. So did Richard Armitage actually throw anyone down flights of stairs? Or was that... <laughs> he threw them to the, to, the, to the floor of the studio <laughs> and pretended it. to bite their leg. 
So you write for so many different forms of media. You write prose, comic books, and now audio. How do you approach each? Is each creative process different for you? I write articles for magazines. I, I write novels. I write short stories. I write essays. I write comics. I write podcasts. Working in screenplays now. I just finished a feature that looks like it's going into production. We'll see. But oh, I don't know. There's something about, like, I don't want to be bored, bored of the keyboard. Like, I, I don't think of myself as a novelist or comics writer. I just think of myself as a storyteller. And I guess you could say that I'm following Neil Gaiman's tracks in the mud. And, you know, every, every time that I work in a new medium, I learn something that I can take elsewhere. Like, it breaks open my aesthetic. And, you know, writing podcasts has made me a better novelist, I think. I love that, how each medium teaches you something new. What was the most important thing you learned from writing audio? I learned too many things to count, but I think that the strict structure of it was essential and is something I've also gleaned from writing comics in that I can't, I don't have unlimited real estate as I do when writing a novel. I have to very efficiently move forward the plot, characterize, sneak in some sort of subterranean metaphor. And usually a scene can last about five minutes before people get bored, right? And there's an A plot, and there's a B plot, and there's a C plot, and a D plot. And oftentimes the D plot of one episode becomes then the C plot of the next. And then in that third episode becomes a B plot, and then becomes principally important as the A plot in that next episode. So it's like this turnstile that you're always working your way through, or a juggling act, right? You're setting up, you're mining your own continuity. Like you're always thinking about, all right, if I have this one thing that's going to play out in episode seven, it better be in episode three. And it might just appear in passing, and only in, later will people recognize it as essential. And I think you see that a little bit with the way that the Sentinels are unveiled, right? If you go back and listen to season one, every single episode has a hint that they are sentinels. Yeah. But nobody, almost nobody guessed it, right? It's right. there, but it doesn't announce itself too loudly. Yeah, I think one of my, one of the biggest hints for me when I listened to it the first time was when Bobby noticed how they ran right. so fast. Mm -hmm. And towards the end, as I guess it, we were getting closer to the revelation, it was so many things can happen to them that they don't really care about. Yeah, <laughs> they're impervious really to temperature. Yeah. They get shot. And the wound yeah. might result in them being a little clumsy when they walk, but they're fine otherwise. Yeah. Or they can see in the dark. They don't need a flashlight when others do. Yeah, blah, blah, Pierce blah. was just like, I'm fine. No, you're bleeding. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I do this all the time. Just need an oil change. Just need an oil change. What did you learn about Wolverine while writing Wolverine and Logan? Well, he's always been one of my favorite characters, and... I was amazed that Marvel offered me this opportunity because I pushed him to the margins of the story, right? I did the equivalent to what Steven Spielberg did in Jaws, right? You put the shark under the water, and it's just a fin. It's just a, a shadowy surge thumping against the hull, right? So to take a superhero story and to totally shift everyone's understanding of that character, right, including my own, and really dig deep into the fact that Logan is a scary dude, right? He's done terrible things. At its heart, it's kind of a story about PTSD, right, and him 
unshouldering himself of guilt and dedicating himself to a kind of atonement. He's got his healing factor, but he carries the scars on the inside. Yeah, it almost must be frustrating to have that, to deal with that healing factor as if it's erasing something that happened so quickly and yet he still carries it. It's not healing his memory. Psychic wounds. Psychic wounds, yeah. So can you give us any hints about how that's going to affect his interactions in Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail? Well, it's difficult for him to trust others. It's also difficult for him to bring others close because he's worried about how things so often go to hell, right? And how he doesn't want to be responsible for any more blood spilled. So there is a character named Marcus Baptiste who wishes to team up with Logan because they've both lost people. There's a series of missing person cases going on in New Orleans. Marcus is missing his mother. Logan is missing Maureen. And so this team up is a reluctant one for a number of reasons. And though Logan, you know, will dismiss the kid as inexperienced or too young or, or, or whatever else, what it really comes down to is that Logan doesn't want to see him get hurt. And when it comes to who he's seeking out, Maureen, there are a lot of rotten holes in his memory. And he sort of sees hazily, this person hazily through the scrim of all that memory plaque and, and thinks of her in a romantic way. So there's the love story component, but she actually doesn't necessarily need his help. And maybe their relationship wasn't everything he thought it was. Yeah, it sounds like he needs her to just fill that void. Yeah, he's not somebody who's capable of saying I love you. Yeah. Wolverine will never say I love you. But is there's that subtext in, in this season. That's so sweet. So let's talk about the comic adaptation a little bit. Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night. A couple of issues are out now. Mm -hmm. What was it like to shift gears on that and write that and then finally see the finished product? It was a huge challenge uh, taking 10 episodes and truncating them into five issues. Now, I did have an oversized issue to start with, Mm -hmm. but I really had to look at it carefully and and think about, okay, what, what needs to be in here? When it comes to characterization or when it comes to, uh, you know, a, a reveal or a, a plot twist. and It was an exercise in economy. And I'm very proud of it. And I love the artists involved. The art's uh, beautiful. Takara and Mila, like, they crushed it. And I especially love what happens with the style actually shifts when it comes to memory, right? So, so much of the story is about people recollecting things and how they might conflict with the truth of the present. And if you look at the comic, like there's a, just like in True Detective, they play around with this a little bit in the way that things are shot. Like if you're hearing somebody, it's not true. If you're watching something, it is true. So we played around a little bit of that with, depending on where something happens in the timeline, the colors are different and the style is different. The memories are more painterly in their effect and they're more noir in the present. Oh, because we kind of, see things through rosy-colored glasses and then remember them that way? Yeah. Something like that? Something like that, yeah. That's very cool. Benjamin, thank you so much for coming by this week in Marvel. It's been fun. Thanks for talking to me. Big thanks to Benjamin Percy for uh, joining us on This Week in Marvel. Remember to check out Marvel's Wolverine the Lost Trail on Stitcher Premium starting next week, March 25th. Uh, But... 
you know, we have to say big thanks also to our advertiser this episode, Marvel MasterCard, because we're all dying to know what happens in Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. But you could be one of the first to find out. What? How? How? With the Marvel (laughs) MasterCard. Apply for the Marvel MasterCard today and you'll be entered to win a trip to Los Angeles and tickets to the premiere of Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. Learn more at marvelmastercard.com slash twim. With the Marvel MasterCard, you'll earn 3% cash back on movies, restaurants, and comic books and 1% cash back on all other purchases. With all cash back paid as a statement credit, there's no limit to the cash back you can earn. Plus, you'll receive a three-month Marvel Unlimited subscription, giving you access to over 20,000 digital comics. You can even choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs like Iron Man, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. No purchase or application necessary to enter the Marvel MasterCard application sweepstakes open to legal residents of the U.S., U.S. territories, D.C., and Puerto Rico, age 18 or older, ends March 31st, 2019. For complete rules and a no-application method of entry, visit marvelcardappliesweeps.dja.com. All right, now that you've you've got all that in your head for your wonderful Marvel MasterCard, we're going to get you back to the bayou. I'm using it again. I Doesn't love it. matter. I like it. It's okay. To talk about more of Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail, uh, because we've got another interview, and this is with actor Rodney Henry. We had a lot of fun talking with Rodney. So excited. Oh, very. So, like, just hyped to be part of the Marvel Universe. Good energy from that kid. He's a good kid. Yeah. He's a good kid. He was on Lion King, on Broadway. Yeah. So much fun. He has an interesting role on the show, which he'll delve into right now in the interview. Hey, Rodney, how's it going? Oh, I'm fine, man. How's everything? Really good, really good. Uh, so on This Week of Marvel, one of the things that we always like to start with is finding out what our guest's origin story is, particularly their Marvel origin story. How did you first get connected to Marvel characters, <laughs> stories? You know, sometimes we've heard the cartoons is often right. one of them, the comics, obviously. Sometimes it's the movies. Sometimes it's like bedsheets or underoos right. or whatever. What was it for you? It's funny you mentioned bedsheets or anything to do with the household because my brother was a big like comic book collector and Wolverine was his man that's who he was he felt like and I never got those comics they are they're hidden somewhere in, in Fairfield California so you know and I never got a chance to see him but the fact that he used to talk about it a lot that was intriguing to me and then he had the toy and it wasn't it wasn't the uh, the original costume with the, the blue and the yellow and the it wasn't that it was the brown jacket jean wearing okay you know slick wolverine and i'm like yo <laughs> this is before hugh jackman this yeah. is before you know what i'm saying yeah. and that's when i was say, i said yeah this is the coolest character <laughs> in the world and then i found out he's like five three and i said yes he's even cooler because he's my height <laughs> you know so that was the first and then it, it grew bigger when i was with my cousins in the backyard and my friends and we're playing make-believe marvel yeah. and I'm creating a character where he has golden claws longer than Wolverine's and he has Kelly Hughes long nails as well. And he's got, you know, he's got Magneto's power to move things. You know, it's just everything happened 
with these character building in the backyard. And that's how Marvel for me happened. That's how being a superhero in real life happened. You take yeah. some of those elements. I love from, it. From fascinating, you know, so, the yeah. imagination. Yeah. So the, the reason we're talking to you today is because you're going to be, you're, you're a part of Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail. Yes. Coming up. So, yes. And just hearing your story, you're kind of predestined to hang out with Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's what I told um, Brendan and Chloe. I told them coming in. I'm like, you guys don't know what you did. <laughs> yeah. You, you really don't know what you did. You know, you... <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Stan Lee drew me. He wrote me. You know what I'm saying? He, I'm here. I'm Marcus. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So you're Marcus, uh, Marcus Baptiste. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about Marcus in Marvel's Wolverine The Lost Trail? Because, you know, with Marvel, we like secrecy. And at this point, the show isn't fully out there. But what have we said you can say? <laughs> yeah, we also don't want to get you in trouble or anyone yeah. else that you work no. with. Right, so. right. So what happens is... Phoenix. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. You're um, here first. <laughs> creating. Um, so what? All right. Without mm -hmm. saying anything too much, I don't really like giving anything. I, I'm the type. You say you're a fan. Watch, listen. Yeah. You know, do that, and you'll 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 see. But honestly, first season was this this voyage for Wolverine, right? For Logan, and he's pretty much running away kind of you know getting away this time he's going to it because he's forgotten a friend and there's going to be some things to go down mm -hmm. um it's like i said it before it's the the number one and zero hooking up and becoming the 10 you know and making 10 work and that's what wolverine is i'm one he's zero <laughs> <laughs> that is wonderfully vague. Like I, I've talked to many actors and of, of TV shows and movies. They're like, I can't tell you anything. You gave us the wonderful vagueness in a really interesting way, which I, I dug. That was I'm really sorry good. Sorry if I didn't no, no, that's anything. good. No. That's good. No because need to apologize. <laughs> I, I, I feel the same way. It's like I, you know, when we work here at Marvel, everything is spoiled for us, oh, and yeah. so I don't want our fans to have things spoiled for no, them. I think no. it's important them to understand like hey there's reasons why this is cool and you should check it out yeah. but enjoy the mystery enjoy coming into something fresh yeah so in this story your character marcus yeah. uh he's looking for his mother yes. this is a plot detail we can yes you can mention. say that we yes can mention that yes so logan is also looking for his ex-girlfriend Ma maureen, maureen. Right. what can you tell us about the relationship between marcus and logan well we all right so we all know who Wolverine is, yeah, Logan. Like, we we all know he's short-fused. You know, he doesn't have time for adults. What makes you think he has the time for kids? So um, that in itself is is the relationship. Like, beat a kid. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's our relationship. And then, and then there's this change that happens when Logan realizes that this kid is probably more courageous than I am. He's probably more brave and crazier than I am. And it's that moment where he's like, all right, kid, let's go. <laughs> you know, you know, let, you know, let's just do it. Let's just, dang it. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I know I am. I know I'm going to come back to this and, and I'm going to just, there's something about you. And then the knowledge of Marcus. Marcus knows the bayou. This is his backyard. He says it. This is what he has lived for. Yes, he's a city kid in mind, but Bayou is his backyard. Swamp is his life, mm. okay? And Logan 
benefits having someone around. That's his local GPS. <laughs> you know, I get lost, I got kid. <laughs> you know, then get out of here, kid. I know where I'm at. You know, I love that about the story too, because that is such a that's such a, a part of Wolverine that we don't talk about a lot. Is that Wolverine always finds himself connected with people who are wherever he is. Yes. When he goes to Japan, he gets so ingrained in that culture and, and the people that he is connected with. When he goes to Madripoor, when he goes to wherever he is, wherever he is. he's just, he gravitates towards someone, finds these bonds. I, I, I love that about this story. What, what is it, a, a chameleon or what's the changing uh reptile the uh the sit a chameleon a, a chameleon yeah, yeah. you sit it in its environment it's going to literally change you know adapt to it and become yeah. it and become it you know and that's i guess when you have those powers right and this is for any superhero when you have those powers people will elevate you to another level and expect certain things of you and how do you how do you run away from that without running fit right in mm. you yeah. fit right right in and it, that's what he does so well yeah i was just thinking about his healing factor like maybe his cells are not <laughs> healing they're just adapting to a change oh my gosh i've never even thought about it like that his cells are adapting they adapt to literally, literally everything, everything around him literally yeah. everything that's pretty cool his surroundings. I, I love that could be a secondary mutation you never know. It, it, it may be are we on the brink of writing a new <laughs> well, how did wolverine get so much cooler just my, now my. i didn't think it was possible uh, <laughs> you mentioned brendan and chloe yes. and we had we've talked to them before on the show and i i love the way they they talk about recording of the show and you know, the, the, the way the sound is done. Uh, how did you record this? Were you working with any other cast members together? Mm -hmm. how, what was it like for you? So the, the conventional way, right, is, is we all wear our headphones. We're all sitting in front of mics and we just act. This was different. This was, I've never been in an audio session where I'm actually staging. And um, that's what we were doing. We were blocking for stage. We were acting, baby. We weren't, you know, yeah, we had the iPads and the scripts in our hands and stuff like that. But we weren't, that was the least of it. This was second nature holding the script. We were acting. I was acting in that room. And it's not a small room. It's a pretty, pretty big room. And then you got the 3D mic. And then you got our mics. And then you got... You know, it, it was just, it was mind-blowing for me. It was mind-blowing for me being a voice artist, having so many voice accolades under my belt. This was the first time that, that, that I had seen a 3D mic and that I'm blocking for staging inside of an audio room and making the thumps, hitting the desk or drinking water, <laughs> realistically eating real hot dogs or, you know what I'm saying, yeah. eating croissants to make it sound like hot dogs, whatever. That's what we were doing. We were acting. This was not a conventional podcast. This is not a conventional radio station. You know, yeah, this no, was cool. acting. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be fun with someone like Richard Armitage who plays Logan, who he gets into it, right? Oh, like gosh. he's just having the best time and he's just going for it. Let me tell you all about Richard. <laughs> real, quick. real quick, before I go any further, I truly enjoyed my time with Richard Armitage. He is brilliant, okay? First of all, I have this heart for British actors, but you know, like I have this separate heart for British actors. Just for British actors, this is one heart, you know, British that's how, actors. That's the premise of Doctor Who. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seriously? Wow, that's crazy. All right, so, but you know, Richard does that for me. Like, 
the way he attacks the script and just the way he he made it very very comfortable for me on set and um i appreciate that from him he he really really made it comfortable for me and he's the man he's he's the <laughs> man he can act his butt off oh yeah. <laughs> yeah he can act nice. he can, ugh. <laughs> so you talk about like blocking for stage and really acting does Richard Armitage just like throw people so okay there was one time where he cut me no I'm just playing <laughs> no, um, it had to sound real <laughs> <laughs> convince him alright so yes it, if it got to a point where um, I'll give you one <laughs> he and Gambit <laughs> right all right so they dance for a little bit and it's a it's a fun dance it's a fun dance and I w- i'll be honest with you i would love it if it was an actual dance like there's a whole waltz sequence <laughs> in this show with the two of them and it's like we're getting that but i, I know i get your meaning so I if everyone that. yeah let me be clear dancing <laughs> is not dancing right we're, we're talking about fist to fist hand-to-hand combat and um it was beautiful it was beautiful the way brendan explained it the way brendan broke it down for them and it it was great you know sometimes you didn't have to put your hand on him and he just would joust himself back and you know it it was it's great (laughs) like it was really good so this season it's quote-unquote dance next season actual ballroom combat right (laughs) actual like spike heels Well, Wolverine, save the last dance. That'll be season oh, three. What? You know what? That's season three? I want that to be season three. All right, let's be... work on it then. <laughs> let's, it let's get it let's... out there. It's out in the universe. We'll put it out there. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, what do you like about voice acting particularly? I mean, this one, obviously, as you've talked about, seems like it's this cool way of mixing a lot of traditional acting and stage acting mm-hmm. theater, which you have so much experience in. But what, particularly for voice work, what, what attracts you to that? It's um, it's so much actually. That's that's why I took a pause. The main reason why I like I love voice acting is the possibility of being something that I am nothing like, that I am nowhere near. And you could say, well, isn't that acting? Isn't that the same for stage acting? Yeah, but it's different because I can land a CGI role. You know what I'm saying? I can land this role and I can be a, a I can be a different color and not be judged for that or say why did you take that role or you know cuz this is voice. This is voice acting. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's the real reason why I like voice acting because I can play Cleopatra. I can play anyone that I want to play and you can't say anything about it because it's a voice. There's, there's a voice. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. Well, we were talking a little bit before the show, and you do have quite a range. You have played a lion. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you, you played a lion. You, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. You did. You played young Simba in The Lion King on Broadway, yeah. which I'm very excited about. You. Hearing you talk about the way you got to like block for stage, mm-hmm. it feels like your theater experience really prepared you for oh, this. Yeah. Like, what did you learn as an actor doing these two different kinds of acting and, roles? And, and let's specifically stick to Lion King real quick because that was the biggest stage that I've ever been on in my life. And thank you, Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the blocking, because I'm a dancer as well, the blocking on that particular stage, 
Because the stage moves. The stage is a living, breathing thing. It has its own mind. People who have never seen a, a Disney, like, theatrical Broadway show have no idea. Like, it, it's, they're so cool. Like you're saying, the stage moves. What The things that Disney does when they produce these shows is wild. Because, and I'm, I'm going to go to the safety of it. Because you learn your limitations on certain things, right? Through, through... When you're on a big stage like that, I mean, I, you can learn anywhere, but for me, it was that big stage. Um, so the grass is moving in; you have to hop over the third mm-hmm. grass, and then still remember that you sing, you're singing and dancing and acting and smiling for the people, right? And then you know, don't run up too fast on Pride Rock because it's circling upwards as you're walking up there with Mufasa. You know, so there are things that they tell you to be cautious of, and if you're not cautious of them. I do have a story. I'm sorry. I do. I do have no a story. No apologies necessary. Yeah. I love a story. <laughs> the grass, right? So so the grass would come in on the stage, and we are to jump across. So Mufasa, this is a scene where Mufasa is at the stars, and we're, we're talking about the great kings and queens of the, that are the stars. And so at the end of the scene, I have to hop back over, and my tail gets caught on a line. And had I been not paying attention to the crew members or just doing my own thing, I would have hurt myself bad. But I stayed. I stayed right there. The grass rolled off. It took my tail with it. <laughs> right? And, and we, we continued on the scene. Because there are certain things that you have to just, it, it becomes second nature after speaking with crew members. If this is to go down, this is how you respond. And that's what, you know, if I can conquer that stage moving, I can conquer any stationary stage, you know? Yeah. I feel like that kind of leaves things open to improvise a little bit. Yeah. When you learn how to roll with the punches like that, was there any room for that in doing Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail? As far as? As far as improv. Impro- oh, man. How many punches? Fun. How many punches did you have to roll with literal or otherwise? <laughs> so, like, yeah, we we, we did it. Like, I love the physical. I love when it gets physical. So I used to tell Richard or anybody, um, hit me. Give it to me. Don't hold back. Please don't hold back. Because if you hold back, then you ain't going to get me. You ain't going to get the 100%. We need to do this. So that's what it was. Don't hold back. And that's the type of actor I am. Don't hold back. Just give it to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, Rodney, we have to let you go because you have to go do our show Marvel Let's Play. Yes. uh, Which is going to be great. But uh, fans can check out you, Rodney Henry, and a whole host of amazing talent in Marvel's Wolverine The Lost Trail coming to Stitcher Premium starting March 25th. And where can fans find you? March 25th. March 25th. They can find me March 25th. (laughs) Right? Stitcher. Stitcher Premium. Right? But no, um, um, Rock Jr. Films, Instagram, Rodney Henry Jr. Facebook. I do have a Twitter handle, but Instagram, Rock Jr. Films, Rock Jr. Films, Rock Jr. Films, Rock Jr. Films, Rock Jr. Films. What was that again? Rock Jr. Films. R-O-C-J-R-F-I-L-M-S. Thanks, Rodney. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate this. This was fun. Big thanks to Rodney Henry. Uh, Again, you can hear him on Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail, starting March 25th on Stitcher Premium. And it's time for our question of the week. Jamie, you had this one. I've got this one. So we've seen Wolverine go to the fictional Burns, Alaska, and now he's going to the South. He's going to the bayou. So what would you do 
if Wolverine came to your town? Oof. So, like my town being, because I live in Manhattan. Right. Does that mean just like generally Manhattan? Is he like down in Soho? Is he buying like uh, you know, like a knockoff person like Chinatown? <laughs> He'd be miserable in Soho. He would hate Soho. Let's say he comes up to my neighborhood, which I live in northern Manhattan. Maybe he's going to the cloister. Dude just wants a little art. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little little old school medieval stuff. You know, I'd just be like, hey, bub, go check out the the jewelry in that one room up in the, the cloisters. And he'll be like, <clears throat> he's a man of culture, but he's also a man of solitude. Yes. See, I live in Queens and it's a little more spread out. There are a lot of parks in Queens. I, as I mentioned, live near a cemetery now. I'd probably go for a walk in the cemetery with him and we go to opposite sides of it and then meet up later for a drink and then part ways. I really dig Wolverine as a, as a dude, um, as a character, but I don't think he's the kind of person you exchange many words with. Uh, all right. It's time for our community section. We've got questions and comments and tweets and emails. Make sure you tweet your answers to our question of the week using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Send them to twimpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page so we can read them in the future episode like we're doing right now. Uh, Karis Pollard says, so my new comic book day is a bit late, but that's because I had to see Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel again yesterday. It's great, by the way. Anyway, I had four books this week. Ask Guardians of the Galaxy, Ms. Marvel, Winter Soldier, and Avengers No Road Home. Uh, for anybody who hasn't read As Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the first issue is now available on Marvel Unlimited. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Karis continues saying, but my This Week in Marvel of the week is Avengers No Road Home. The art in this issue continues the incredible run with especially beautiful work on the blind panels. I'm just loving this series. It's a weekly delight. If you haven't been reading Avengers No Road Home in the, the story, Scarlet Witch has sort of been blinded by the evil villain Nyx. And uh, so she sees certain things. It's yeah. part of a whole trick that Nyx is doing. And spoilers, Conan is in the book. It's really yeah. cool. It's a very fun universe-crossing yes. mm-hmm. event. Uh, the Tech Lord says, My twim for the week of March 5th, 2019 has to be Uncanny X-Men n- number 13. The classic X-Men feel, beautiful art, and Logan and Scott's bickering. It's all perfect. Heck yeah. And then finally, Sean Winningham says, Just listen to a minute <laughs> of Spider-Man Rock Reflections of a Superhero because... Agent M discussed it on This Week in Marvel. Definitely one of the most bizarre things I've heard in a while. I told you. Yeah. I told you. <laughs> it's something else. I, you know what? I'm just going to, as a bonus in this week's This Week in Marvel history post, it's up there. Fantastic. It is up there. All right. Uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with probably a whole bunch of newsy bits to talk about. Oh, yeah. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.